There are psalms in the book of Psalms that are happy, happy, joy, joy. And there are psalms that are sad, sad, almost depressingly sad. There are psalms about when things are going right, and there's psalms when things aren't going right. There's psalms when you're doing well, and there's psalms when your neighbor is doing well and you're not. There are psalms about when you've been unjustly mistreated. There are psalms about what to do when you've sinned, how to talk to God about it. It's incredible. This was the songbook of the early church. It makes me think that God intended for the gathering of his people to be a place where we can express the full range of our emotions as we express the full range of our life. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. We are going to talk tonight about the book of Psalms. I figured why not cover Psalms in 20 minutes? You know, Psalms has a ton of chapters, a couple of quizzes. Uh, By the way, I've already given you the answer. Which book in the Bible has the most chapters? Which one has the shortest chapter in the Bible? 117. How many verses is that? Two. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. How many verses does it have? 176. You know, if one of the chapters has two and one has 176, it makes me agree with something I remember hearing in undergrad. It was years ago. And I can't remember if it was a man named Stephanus or a man named Longinus, one of them, one of them chose the chapters and one of them chose the verses. And the argument is that sometimes it's so disjointed, they were on the back of a horse traveling from place to place when they were doing this. And that's where the horse jumped a little bit and the pencil just went like that. Because why would you make a chapter with two verses and a chapter with 176 verses? I don't have a good answer for you. Other than this, Psalms was the songbook of the early church. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the whole thing tonight. The Psalms, the songbook of the early church. When you have a birthday party, let's just say for a two-year-old, and you're planning one, let's just say it's coming up in a little bit, and you're thinking about songs to sing, You want something short and snappy, something that can be memorable, something everybody can join in on. And so a song like Happy Birthday to You is perfect. If it had 27 verses and all these highs and lows, people couldn't join in and they wouldn't remember it and it wouldn't be as memorable and she wouldn't sing it on her own. A short, snappy song is important in some occasions and on other occasions. When you want to pour out your heart and you're looking for words to express your thoughts and you want to talk to God, but you need something more than a line in a Hallmark card. We've got a chapter with 176 lines. Maybe you'll find something in there that's meaningful to you. Not just that. There are Psalms in the book of Psalms that are happy, happy, joy, joy. And there are Psalms that are sad, sad, almost depressingly sad. There are psalms about when things are going right, and there are psalms when things aren't going right. There are psalms when you're doing well, and there are psalms when your neighbor is doing well, and you're not. 
There are psalms about when you've been unjustly mistreated. There are psalms about what to do when you've sinned, how to talk to God about it. It's incredible. This was the songbook of the early church. It makes me think that God intended for the gathering of his people to be a place where we can express the full range of our emotions as we express the full range of our life. We do a good job of that here. Sometimes uh, the, the worship war debates are basically about do we sing the new songs or the old songs? But you know there's so much more than that. What about do we sing the joyful songs or do we sing the lament songs? And the answer is yes. Because the Psalms is the songbook of the early church. I don't mean to make light or to make fun because this anybody could have done this. I could have done this. And it's just the nature of the, the way we do services now. You know, when you put uh, when you pick your songs, you have to pick them out early and you put them into the machine and they're already on the slide. So it's, it's hard to change on the fly. We all understand that. And let me add something else. Sometimes anybody doing service can step out for a second and miss some announcement that was made. So there's all you hear all my reasons. I'm about to really make fun of something. And I want you to know. It could have been me, okay? I remember attending a service. It was not here. In which the guy got up to do the announcements. This is before the closing song. And he said to the group, he did all the announcements, and then he said, oh, by the way, I just want to tell you that I got back from the doctor's office, and turns out I've got stage four cancer. It's incurable. And I don't know how long I'll have, but I want you to know that I know that I'm safe in the arms of Jesus, but I'm struggling with it. My family's struggling with it. The best place to talk about it is church. I want to tell you that. And then the song leader got up to lead the closing song, the one already selected. And it was about, oh, happy day. Can I just make the point? That the full range of the book of Psalms tells us that the full range of life and the full range of emotions in life, this is the place to express it. Now, I say that, and then you get to some Psalms where you think no one would ever pray this out loud. You know, there are Psalms in which the writer says something like, God, I wish you would take my enemy and really make their life miserable. Now, that's the, that's the Nathan Guy version. Here's the actual words. Would you take their little children and throw them against the rocks? Okay, number one, what do you do with that? Number two, how do you turn that into a song? And number three, who would lead that verse? We'll talk about that in a second. We could break the psalm up into three sections. And I love, I got this from a guy named Walter Brueggemann. This is, this is brilliant. There are psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation. Let me explain those. Psalms of orientation are psalms that say, here's how the world is supposed to function. Remember, Genesis 1 says God brought order out of chaos. So psalms of orientation, you know, when you start a new job, sometimes you'll have an orientation. Or you start college, you'll have an orientation week. Getting used to how things are supposed to be. So you have, for example, wisdom psalms. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm, and it says, here is the way to see the world. And that is, 
There is good and there is bad. There is wisdom and there is foolishness. And you're made to follow the way of wisdom. And if you do, there's peace and joy for you. There are praise psalms. Psalm 8. This is a psalm of orientation. This is where the psalmist is laying on his back in the green grass and looking up at the starry skies. And he says, you know, when I see all those stars and I just think about how small I am, I think, what in the world is a human being? You even take notice of me. And yet you've crowned us with glory. May us a little lower than the angels. And this is how it is. Humans are special in this world. There are enthronement psalms that God is on his throne and he's ruling the world. So orientation, here's how we're supposed to tell the story. God's on his throne. Wisdom is the right way to live. We're special in the eyes of God. Orientation. And then there are Psalms of disorientation. That can be broken into two categories. One is the category of lament. That's when you say, I know it's supposed to be this way, but life doesn't seem to be going the way it's supposed to go. Look at Psalm 6. This is a psalm of disorientation. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The last two verses bring us back around. But for most of it, it's things aren't great. I just want to let you know. Lament. You know, the New Testament puts it this way. Cast all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. Another way to put it, somebody needs to hear your groaning and pain. It doesn't always have to be your spouse or the punching bag you have in the garage. When you're angry and sad and you want to share it with somebody, God's shoulders are big enough to handle it. And you can share it with your family in lament. The second kind of disorientation is a little, a little uh, stronger. You can also think about these in terms of seasons. Think of orientation as summer psalms. That's when things are great. Then think of lament as fall psalms. Things are starting to look like the seasons are turning. And then you've got the winter psalms, the cold winter psalms. And that's a psalm of disorientation. And that's the ones where you have real almost cursings. And I don't mean cursings like bad words. I mean, Psalm 10. I mean, the the big word for it is imprecatory. But that's where you're asking God to bring down fire from heaven on the people who are burning you up. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes of 
that they have devised for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Verse 12, verse 13, it asks for God to rise up and do something about it. I do think that when we get to the New Testament, we find a wideness in God's mercy that should not be forgotten. Where God is basically saying, learn to be unbelievably forgivable, even forgive the inexcusable. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, forgive the inexcusable for God's forgiven the inexcusable in you. There's a wideness in God's mercy. But there's also a call to recognize that even though I try my best to put myself in the shoes of the other people, even in the shoes of my enemy. Jesus says, loving your enemy is going way beyond, and yes, the call of Christ. But even when I try to do that, there are times when I look at people doing things and I think, even on my worst day, I wouldn't imagine doing that. And so you have in Revelation, you have the souls of the martyrs crying out, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, until you avenge our blood. That's a Christian prayer. That's a prayer in which Romans says, leave room for the vengeance of God. Believing that God cares about righteousness and goodness and holiness. And if God cares about those things, protecting his people includes protecting them from those who seek to do them wrong. So you have all those. I don't want to suggest that every single psalm the way it's worded is perfectly appropriate for public worship. Some of the Psalms are private Psalms. I don't mean to say, uh, Mark, that I want you to write a song and on Sunday you and Andrew get together and let's have a dash my little children against the rocks. I don't want that one. I don't want that one. Actually, it's not mine. It's, you know, the bad guys. But still, I don't think that would be a good song. Now you've learned why I don't lead singing. You've heard my voice, but I do think that what's happening is even when we're praying to God and saying, I am so angry and frustrated. I don't even know what to think. I don't know if I should think this, but it's how I feel. I want you to know God wants you. He wants you, all of you. Sometimes we sanitize our words to God and we unsanitize them to our friends and neighbors. And God says, actually, maybe the other way around would be more healthy. Tell me what's on your heart and love and forgive your neighbor. And then we have the last one, Psalms of reorientation. And that's where, okay, we're coming back around. We've got the summer. We've got the fall. We've got the winter. What about the spring Psalms, Psalms of reorientation? And that is, I've gone down to the valley. But now that I've been through the valley, perhaps I now can go back to an orientation that comes with experience. And I begin to see things and see them anew. And so Psalms of reorientation would be songs like Psalm 76, which retells the story. And you know that things aren't going great when they're telling the story. But what he's trying to remind himself of is, I remember that whenever things were bad, God showed up. When we were stuck in Egypt, God showed up. When we were stuck in the wilderness, God showed up. You see the gospel here, don't you? That when we're thinking about things aren't the way they're supposed to be, I'm scared about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in my future, but here's what I know. Every time I felt that way in the past, 
my God has been faithful, reorienting your lives, bringing you out of the valley back to where we need to be. Psalms of sacred history, Psalm 76. Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalm 18. And the last chapter, uh, last one to examine is Psalm 3, which is a psalm of trust. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. If you want to see all of this in one psalm, look at Psalm 22. It's not a coincidence. This is the one the Lord quotes, not just on the cross. You see glimpses of it throughout his life as well. It's the one that begins with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And real struggle and pain and what's happening to him. And where is God? And why doesn't he rise up against the foes? And it ends with a recognition that my God is the one who's always been with me, who will lead me where I need to go and will keep me safe. Here's the challenge. The Psalms give us the full range, which tells us that God cares about the full range. And just as I see in Christ, a God who cares about every single part of my life, I see that God wants every part of who we are to be lifted to him so that he can affect every part of our life and make it more holy and more like him. Will we do that? You can't read through the Psalms and come away thinking there's some locked part of your soul that God doesn't want to know about. Every single emotion gets expressed. Every thought, every worry, every high and every low, you can give them to God. And we should. And not just individually. I made the point this morning, but I want to make it again. The word you in the New Testament, two-thirds of the time, it's plural. So when we talk about being indwelled by God's Spirit, think about, that's true, but think about God dwelling in His church. When we talk about let your light shine before people so they see your good works, that's good, but don't put all the work on yourself. It also means we as a body. And when it talks about casting your cares and sharing your concerns, what does it mean to do that as a people? The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's what it means to be a people. And the Psalms teach us how to do that. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.